Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And thank you again for joining me here at the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 56. Before we get to this week's episode, I have a couple Mojo updates for you all. What are Mojo updates? Well, there seems to be a phenomenon where good things happen to guests that have been on the Back of the Range Golf podcast. Now, do I think the podcast is the sole reason for the good fortune that these people are experiencing? Of course not. It's their hard work, it's their dedication and passion for the game of golf. But are we going to pass up the chance to highlight the fact that these great things happened after they came on the podcast? Of course not. Come on, we got to take a little bit of credit. So congrats to Coach Laura Ionello from the University of Arizona. A couple of her ladies that are on the golf team, they have been invited to play in the first Augusta National Women's Amateur Championship. So congrats to Haley Moore. Congrats to Vivian Ho for getting the invite. You'll remember that her team won the national championship last year. Another one of our guests from season one, Steve LeBrun. He's making his first start of the web.com season down in the Bahamas. He had a rough start in the first round, shot 76. And then he apparently decided to just jump over everyone. He jumped 98 spots after his second round, 65, and his third round, 66. We wish Steve the best going into the final round. So if you're listening to this episode, the final round is today down in the Bahamas. So log in, check him out on Twitter. Give him some support, and we will continue following him throughout the rest of the web.com season. Both of these episodes, as well as all of our previous episodes, are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm sure you know by now that we are on Instagram, at the Back of the Range Podcast. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. All of this information is available in the show notes of this episode. Don't forget, subscribe, 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 leave reviews in Apple Podcasts. I can't stress that enough. Go check out thebackoftherange.com for all of this information. And if you want to shoot me an email with some comments, believe me, they're always welcome. Our guest this week has had his fair share of experiences around the game of golf in no particular order of importance. Here are just a few of them. PGA Tour caddy, All-American at USC, PGA Tour player, Champions Tour player. Golf Channel commentator, Ryder Cup assistant captain, and a short game instructor that's worked with at least three former world number ones. That is quite the resume. And I tried to cover it all with our guest this week, Dave Stockton Jr. Jr. and I spoke about some of the most memorable moments of his professional career, as well as his time looping for his dad on the PGA and Champions Tour. We spoke about working with his dad and brother Ron and forming Stockton Golf. They helped the short games with players like Adam Scott, Rory McIlroy, and Phil Mickelson. The family also got together at the 91 Ryder Cup in Kiowa. Dave Stockton was the captain and his two boys were the assistant captains. Can you imagine that ever happening again? I had to ask him some questions about the war on the shore and Junior was completely transparent about what the U.S. team was like and especially how hard Kiowa was really playing. So, Dave, I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining me here at the Back of the Range. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, as I said, we have just so many places we can go with you. You just got done. Let's start with this one, one of the most recent. You just turned 50. Uh, tough break, but these things happen. <laughs> um, and you just played your first Champions Tour event. Uh, how are you holding up? What would you think of it? Well, good. And uh, I was I'd laughing when you said that. Uh, I think it was harder on my parents 
knowing that they have a 50 year old son than for me turning <laughs> 50 and, uh, you know, but, uh, I had a great time, you know, I, it had been 14 years since my last tour event. And, uh, I really only played a couple of, uh, mini tour events leading up to it. And I go back to Minnesota and play the 3M there. Uh, and I didn't know how my nerves would hold up if I would be able to, you know, take the club back sure. and be able to make, make swings. And, um, I was really happy that, you know, when they announced my name on the first tee and I got up and I felt the same nerves I felt when I played on the PGA tour, but nothing I couldn't handle. And I, I hit my first drive. I ripped it right down the left center of the fairway. And I was laughing. I handed the club to my buddy caddying for me. who's one of my best friends. And I said, uh, I said, you okay. And he takes the club and he looks at me, he goes, yeah, I just think I'm more nervous than you are. Oh yeah. Of and, course. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a blast, uh, to play with, you know, my old constituents that I played with on tour. And, um, it was kind of like a, a reunion of sorts. And of course, getting back into that, that grind mode, uh, I knew it was going to be an interesting week playing, you know, as a sponsor's pick, you got to play in whatever they ask you to play. And sure. I played in Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, pro-ams and, um, and the four pro-ams, I had 14 birdies and two eagles, and I think I was a total of one over uh, on wow. a golf course that on a golf course that the guys light up. And right, uh, so I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to sit back and reflect. Okay, what am I doing? What do I need to do? And I, I'm a, an aggressive player by nature, and when you haven't played in a long time, and especially competitively, you know, taking the aggressive route really isn't the smartest. Uh, you know, way to go. And, right. and, uh, I learned that lesson. Um, I mean, I, I start out par birdie the first round and, and I threw in a triple and a double on the front to, to go with that. And, uh, you know, shot a smooth 78 and <laughs> I, I, it was just frustrating that I did that. And then, uh, the 75, the second round, the same thing, I couldn't have shot any higher. It's just making silly mistakes. And, uh, but you know, I, I kind of expected it a little bit, but uh, the thing I was proud of was that I was, I, I knew that if I, I know that if I work on my game and, and put the time in that I could, that I can play still with these guys. And, you know, they have the advantage of, you know, they're playing week in and week out and yeah. they're focusing on it. I'm doing two other jobs and, uh, you know, practicing when I can playing when I can, but, uh, they're not, it's not a priority for me. Well, and that's, you, you said it right there. It, you have so many other interests and so many other passion projects that you're working on. You you're, have the, the Stockton Golf uh, short game school with, with your father and with your, your brother. You're, you're installing synthetic turf uh, for, for entities all over the, the world and relating to golf. So there's so many other things that you're focused on. Do you see yourself as a touring champions tour player over the next several years, or do you think you'd like to just keep it the way it is where it's kind of an occasional reunion of sorts with some of your guys from the, from the regular tour? I mean, realistically, uh, I don't see myself playing out there every week only because I can't devote the time to, right. to work on my game and get there. Um, you know, I got to take care of my family and, and I love, I love the teaching. I love designing these synthetic turf greens and, and putting them in for people. And, um, I have a blast, but, uh, you know, if I can get my game where I know it could be and, and, uh, put the time in and, and play some and have some success, then yeah, I'd have to reevaluate, uh, 
you know, what I have, you know, what I do going forward because, you know, your window of opportunity on the champions tour is, is only so long. And unless you're Bernard Longer or yeah. Hale Irwin, who just yeah. keep doing what they're doing. Of course. Who did you, uh, now who did you play with or who did you see that you're most, uh, I guess kind of, who brought back some memories of maybe some stories from the regular uh, tour that you saw during this tournament? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many guys, Brant Job, I uh, played a ton with him. We used to play practice rounds together every week. And, uh, but I mean, everybody, I mean, from, uh, you know, Colin Montgomery to, uh, uh I mean, I, I can't, I, it, it really was like a, like a high school reunion uh, of sorts, a, a reunion. Yeah. And, um, you know, seeing the guys that, you know, enjoy playing with Blaine McAllister. I got to play with him one of the rounds and he was one of my good friends and one of the nicest guys out there. Um, and, uh, you know, play Fran Quinn and Kent Jones, two, two guys like me that are more journeyman players out there that, you know, just ground, you know, we're grinders on the regular tour and, and they're, they're having some success on the champions tour. And, you know, I played with them the first day and I saw how they just, played their game, you know, where I was all over the place. And, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot of stuff that week. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just, uh, it was just special. And, you know, those guys out there, you know, I've spent a lot of time over the last 10 years teaching guys on the regular tour as well. And, you know, getting out there on the champions tour with those guys, it's a different vibe, still competitive as hell. Um, but, uh, you know, the, it's much more of a family out there on the champions tour. I mean, I just talked Jesper Parnovic, who he and I got on tour the same year um, at Q school in 93. When I was medalist, he was a shot behind me and we got our cards for 94. So we played a lot of golf together in the nineties. And, you know, talking to him, he's like, it's so much more fun out here on the champions tour playing. And yeah. everybody says that yeah. everybody says that. So, you know, it's just, it's, you know, if you can get out there and, sick out there for a few years man it's a it's a heck of a way to make a living sure no absolutely well you talk about playing the champions tour you definitely played uh played your share of professional events on the pga tour and on um well the nike tour nationwide whatever they were calling it uh that that week right. um so uh but i wanted to actually get into your first experience being on tour which was actually a caddy for your father so your your father right. dave stockton two-time major champion Ryder Cup captain in 91, we are definitely going to get into Kiowa because I'm, uh, sure. I'm I'm a licensed Ryder Cup uh, dork. So uh, anything Ryder Cup, <laughs> i got to talk about. But, um, you know, you're, you're on tour caddying for your father. How old were you the first time you caddied in a PGA Tour event for your father? I was 12. Um, <laughs> that's just the most yes. ridiculous. I mean, no offense, yeah. but that's just thing today. <laughs> The way yeah. that is just the most ridiculous sounding thing I could ever think of. Like, I can't uh, imagine a 12 year old right now. Um, I just can't fathom that. So you're 12 years old catting for your dad in a tour event. Yeah. You know, as a kid growing up, I mean, I, I played all, I played love playing soccer and baseball and I played golf and I liked to, I love to hunt and fish. And, uh, you know, so if I wasn't doing the others, I was, riding my bike to the golf course in Westlake village and a little public course there and, and, and playing golf every day. And, um, I just always, I, I definitely, uh, gravitated toward playing golf. And, um, you know, when our summers were spent, dad would play his 
most of his tournaments in the summer because he liked warm weather with his, you know, back issue sure. from having from having broke his back when he was 16 in a surfing accident, which I still shake my head at because I can't see my dad surfing. But anyway, I, I, I know, uh, about, I know about that accident. I was like, this can't be right. So who's I know, I know. Um, and, uh, you know, so our summers were spent going out there and, and, uh, you know, there was no daycare back then. Now the tour players have it pretty good, but they got daycare of their kids and their wives come out and watch them play or, right. you know, and, uh, but back then you were just walking, you're either, uh, you're either caddying or you're hanging on to mom and you know, mom's got the brunt of it and it's hot out there and two kids hanging all over. Right. You know, once I, I wasn't a big kid, but you know, I, I, I started caddying and I caddied for three months each summer. Right. And that's how I learned the game. I didn't play a lot of junior golf. I play like two junior tournaments a year. Um, and I'd get, I'd get killed in both, both of them. I wasn't very competitive cause I just hadn't played a lot of tournament golf, but right. I was, learning the game even though i played all the time i was learning the game watching the best in the world do it and um you know each year i got better and and uh um you know had a went through college turned pro and you know the rest is history but i i learned the game i i've seen over the years i've seen far too many kids even kids i played against who could just blow me out of the water and as we got older they didn't improve in fact they regressed because they got burnt out and I, there was no burnout in me because I didn't, I didn't play a lot of tournament golf. And you, you look at it now with how it's set up, it's, it's so different. I mean, I teach all these kids that are playing the HHGA and everything else. And, you know, I played HHGA events right when they were first starting out. All you had to do is put your money into play. You didn't have to qualify right. or anything like that. And now you, there's a whole qualifying system and stars and points and whatever it is. And, you know, it's highly competitive, which is, you know, positive is when these kids turn pro they're ready to play on tour. Of course. Um, but the downside is for every kid that's ready to play on tour, there's 10 that are, you know, fried and their parents have pushed them too hard or whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, and, there's, there's uh, nothing wrong with a kid going through junior golf and getting a scholarship to an NCAA division two team, getting an education right. and enjoying golf for the rest of his life, as opposed to yep. at 17, he's, they're like, you know, the hell with this and I don't like you dad and all that crap. Yeah. And, and they, they look at golf as, as something that caused them pain in their childhood. So, so you basically were attending almost like a advanced seminar every summer on how to be a <laughs> professional without getting the burnout of actually having to play. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was, and, and watching my dad with the amateurs and how, you know, his, his, he loved the corporate outings. They called him the king of the corporate oh, I outings. I know that. He, I know that. Yeah. And he knew how to handle himself with them. And it wasn't an act. It was genuine. And, you right. know, you see people that are, that are, that are fake about it and they just do it because they have to. And then you see people that are genuinely into it. Like my dad is. And I learned from that. And, um, you know, I, I'm the same as he and I are the same, uh, where it's not work for us to act like that and do that with people. Right. Um, <laughs> So, it, you know, and I, I laughed, I was kind of laughing when, when I was medalist in 93 at Q school, uh, that right after Q school, they send all of us that qualified for the PGA tour to Ponte Vedra to do like a couple days of how to prepare for playing on the tour and how right. to act around right. with media. And I'm like, um, yeah, I already know this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, could, I could teach this class. I I've been around the tour, uh, longer than, uh, the, Yeah. So this is like a yeah. rookie symposium that you're like, can I just, it was. can yeah. I like test out of this? I, 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 already, <laughs> I, I got it. I, I'm good. I, I, I felt like I was already qualified, but I'm like, okay, I'll go. I don't want to, 
Yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. supposed to go. I'm going to go. So I did. Nice. So, you know, you obviously have this really tight, uh, great relationship with your father. You know, I'm sure that when you're out there and you're on his bag, you know, you look up to him. He's he's won two majors. He's he's a very successful, you know, professional. But you're also 12 and 13, and you're hanging out with all these tour stars, and you're seeing them week in, week out. Just, right. Let's just pretend hypothetically that your dad is not going to hear this answer. Who who are you looking at when you're out there as a kid and looking up to and saying, man, that guy, uh, uh, wow, he's really impressive. Uh, the, the two guys, the, the one early on for me was um, Bill Rogers. Okay. Uh, I really liked Bill Rogers, and, and we're still very good friends. I see him uh, once or twice a year still, and I just thought he was the coolest guy, and I just loved how he hit the ball. And he was just a genuinely nice guy, typical Texan, super okay. nice. And just a fiery competitor, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, was a grinder and, and played hard. And that was the guy early on, the early 80s for me. And then uh, mid-80s on, it was Payne Stewart. And yeah. um, and then and then Zinger. Uh, and I played a lot of golf with both of them. And, uh, um, in fact, I, I mean, I I was with Payne at the, the, the old Disney tournament we used to play in Orlando. Uh, the week before Payne uh, passed away uh, was the Disney event. And the next tournament was uh, for the journeyman guys like myself, Jackson, Mississippi. And then the other one was the tour championship, uh, wherever they were going right, uh, right. to play. And, and I was on the putting green after the round Saturday. And um, um, they uh, he and I were the only ones on the putting green. And we were just talking and, and he was so at peace and just, you know, just had a great conversation. And two days later, he's gone. It was just very, very surreal and um, sad. And he was a great friend and a uh, huge uh, loss to the tour. Um, yeah. So, yeah, losing pain was just uh, terrible for, for golf, for the tour, for, for everyone. And we're I want to talk about him and, and Zinger uh, in the 91 uh, Ryder Cup at Kiowa. But. Um, yeah. Before we get to that, I just want to ask at a, at a question. You know, you played golf at USC. Your dad mm -hmm. played golf at USC. You and your father and your grandfather are actually the first family for three generational single sport All Americans. Uh, I'm not sure yep. that you're aware of that. It sounds like you are. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you followed in your father's footsteps, whether it's playing the tour, whether it's being instructor. Um, did you know, did that ever feel unnatural? Did you ever have any point in your life where you're like, I need to kind of get some distance or make my own path? Did that ever cross your mind or has it just, this is your normal? No, this is my normal. My dad likes to say, you know, that if he hadn't been in the golf business, I would have been. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I did the commentating thing, which is something he didn't do. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I did real go. estate. Yeah. I did real estate for a few years, which he definitely didn't do. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the teaching thing kind of after the real estate crash in 08, um, <laughs> I didn't really enjoy doing the real estate thing. And I started helping people with their games and I, I really found that I, I loved helping people and, um, my dad had rotator cuff surgery and, uh, and Oh nine. And that was when Phil called and wanted to get some help. Want to ask my dad for some help with putting. And he and I, you know, I grew up playing against Phil and, uh, you know, 
played was finished second to him in the NCAs at, at Oak Tree in '89 and played on tour against him. And he always beat me like he beat everybody else. Yeah. But uh, I went with him down there to uh, uh, Del, uh, to uh, the Bridges to to work with Phil as well. And and you know the next week we worked with him two days. And the next week he won the tour championship by three shots. And um, that's when my dad and I kind of looked at my dad knew his career was done playing on the tour after his rotator cuff surgery. And, you know, I was done with real estate looking for something new. I knew I liked helping people. So that's how we kind of fell into the teaching thing. Um, at the same time, uh, where you know, Ronnie's been teaching for a long time. Right. Um, you know, we, we transitioned into it and that's when, uh, you know, we formed Stockton golf and, you know, we, we did that for a, you know, a number of years, all three of us together. And, and, um, it's, it's been, uh, we're doing less of that now and, and, you know, we, we were working with, you know, considering we've had with guys we've helped, we've got over on the regular tour, over 80 wins um, with the people we've helped over the years. And we're not working with anybody on the tour right now. Um, okay. And um, it, it's actually fine with my dad and I. We, we don't mind yeah. at all. Well, um, it's, and with all the things you're doing, it sounds like you just don't have the time to just be hanging around a range at a PGA Tour event. But you, you, you mentioned this thing with Phil Mickelson in 09, and I wanted to ask you about that. So he comes to you. Uh, I mean, I know a little bit of the backstory. Uh, he still has Bones on the bag, and Bones is like, what do you think about you know going over and you know, working with Stockton? Were you guys even uh, thinking about what the aftermath would be if that lesson worked as well as it did, like what was that like after Phil just goes off his putting's great and mentions that well, yeah I'm working with Dave Stockton. What was that like yeah. after that? Well, I mean it was nice that he mentioned that um, that he you know he owed a lot of that his great play that week to the help that that we gave him with the putting and um, you know he didn't have to do that right. and uh, but he did and. Um, you know, we, we expected him to go out and play well. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys that we work with and then the next week they play, they go out and light it up. I mean, the number of guys that won the next week, I had it with, I had it in uh, 2010 with um, uh, Adam Scott. I worked with him at the Players' Championship. The next week he won the Texas Open after the first time working with him. Um, and that was with the short putter. Uh, 2010 as, as well, Colonial. I worked with Justin Rose, and the next week he won Memorial for his first win on the PGA Tour. So uh, we see guys have success right away after we work with them, you know. And, you know, I think the strange thing, the thing that perplexes both my dad and I um, and my brother uh, is that, you know, we, we work with someone and they go out and they play great or they're playing well, and then they just decide to switch and not not stay with it. I mean, Rory's probably the biggest one where, you know, he won four majors working with us and got to number one in the world. And then we're no longer working with him. Hasn't won a major sense. And, you know, I mean, it, it's funny. They say, oh, his putting's, you know, it's been his big problem. He won two majors by eight shots when he was working with us. But no, no, no. I mean, and a lot of the work that was done with him in the very beginning was on the mental side. Cause we worked so much cause putting, especially putting, Right. Uh, you know, we specialize in the short game and putting, but we work on the mental side as well because putting is 90% mental. You can have the world's beautiful, most beautiful stroke, 
But if you're thinking the wrong way or if you're thinking about a lot of things or, or a mental midget, whatever you want to call yourself, you're not, it doesn't matter what your stroke looks like because your head controls that. Of course. And so what we work on with people is getting them thinking the right way on the greens because I, I putting to me has always been easy. Uh, I just learned from my dad. He expects every putt to go in. I right. expect every putt to go in. And we were shocked to find, you know, how many people don't expect putts to go in. Well, don't be shocked when they don't go in. You know, it's of course. Uh, do you it's think pretty, it's pretty well? Do you think that, and this is just a, a, a theory or a thought, but do you think the fact that they don't come back to you is because that means they're kind of admitting that mentally they're not strong enough and that they need they need someone else's help? I don't know. I mean, the, you could call it an ego thing, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I, I know for me, if I've got someone that I'm having success with, I'm not changing my team. Yeah. I'm not changing things up. If I've got a, a formula that works, um, I'm not changing anything. I mean, the one guy, the one guy that we've worked with over the years that we were like, yeah, we don't need to work with him anymore. He's got it because he had it mentally to begin with. Yeah. Was Matt, was Matt Kuchar. Really? And Kuchar was, was we, I use him a lot where 2010, he was number one on the money list and fifth in putting. And the beginning of 2011, we're doing a clinic at the vintage club in, in Indian Wells in the desert. And he practices there getting ready for the West coast swing. And he wants to pick our brain on the greens. And, you know, we're laughing. We go, he's, what are you laughing at? So, well, usually we get the guy that's ranked 150th in yeah, putting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, he laughed. And we, you know, we asked him a couple questions. And you could see the light bulb turn on in his head. And, you know, he had this cross-handed flip putting stroke. And, you know, as a right-handed player, we believe your left hand is your direction hand. The back of that left hand should finish low and going down your target line. Right. Back of your left hand, down your line, that's where the ball's going to go. And, he was flipping it up where the left hand's pointing up and the left, but he was a good putter. And the reason why he was a good putter is because he's walking and smiling. He's walking and expecting it to go in. Yeah. But, but he had a, he had a stroke that he knew that was, was faulty. And so next week, two weeks later, it was Riviera. He's got the putter going up his arm. He goes, Hey junior, what do you think? And we had never seen anybody do that. He was the first guy, but that was his way of, you know, locking in that, that left wrist and keeping it solid right through. And he's stuck with it ever since we yeah. worked with him for a couple months and that we didn't need to work with him anymore because he, he's one of the best mentally on the tour that there's been wasn't gifted, wasn't gifted uh, physically, you know, with, with great golf swing, great mechanics, everything, but his mind, the way he thinks on the golf course and his demeanor is what's made him a champion. Yeah. I mean, it just, and that you could say the same thing for a, a Jim Furyk. Sure. There's a golf swing that people have wanted to change that swing for 30 years. He's only got to break 60 twice. And he only got to shoot 58. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, you know. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. You're, you're basically looking at two guys that are incredibly strong mentally that have squeezed yeah. every, you know, have squeezed the pulp out of their talent and gotten everything yep. they can get. And uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, so the instruction thing, we're all big, dumb animals at these driving ranges. And I know you've been to over a thousand driving ranges, probably in your lifetime, even away from the PGA tour. We all like these, you know, five, you know, 500 CC turbo booster drivers. And, you know, the chipping, yeah. the chipping and putting green looks like, you know, the dance floor to junior prom. Nobody wants to get near it. Um, right. What, why is it so hard to get amateurs to fall in love with the short game? That's what you guys specialize in. Why is it, why is it so hard to get them to fall in love with that? Because it's, it's genuinely, it's usually the hardest thing for people. And it's, 
they like hitting the ball a long way. So they go out there and do that, but they don't where people lose their shots. Most is around the greens. And typically people will work on the things they're good at. They won't work on the things they're bad at because it's no fun. So you have, you have that disconnect where, well, I'm, I'm going to go do what I'm good at. Like I, I was out at, uh, I was doing some work for PNC bank at the father son this, this couple weeks back. And, you know, I see on the driving range hitting ball. I'm on the putting green. Uh, I, I'd helped Jerry paid a little bit with his putting. I was just out there putting myself and, and Jerry turns around and he goes, yeah, look at that. There's Tom kite hitting balls in the range. That's the last thing he needs to do. He needs to be out here on the putting green. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just laughed and I, and I, you know, I, I, I went over and hit balls after I was finished putting next to Tom and I was talking to him and you know, he hits balls. He doesn't putt near as long as he hits balls. What's he good at? He's good at ball striking. Right. There you and go. Uh, so it doesn't matter if you're a 15 handicap or a, or a, uh, a, a major winner on tour. Most, a lot of times you'll see them working on the things they're good at and spend less time on what they're not good at. Ironically. Yeah. Um, okay. Cause that, cause that's always something that's been very fascinating to me about, you know, everyone says you got to work on your short game and it's a hundred yards and in that's where you, that's where you lower your scores. Is it, is it also the fact that maybe they don't know how to work on their short games? Like they give up too soon because, well, I didn't chip that close or I didn't chip that in. Is it that they don't understand the concepts of the short game? Yeah. I think there's definitely a, a, a part of that to it for sure. Um, you know, techniques are they're, they're They make it harder than it is. And, you know, they, they don't understand that there's both hands. The low shot is if you're a right-handed player, the low chip is done. The left hand's the dominant hand and the high shot is the right hand, you know, right. finishing high. So you don't have both hands fighting each other, you know, and people don't understand that. And, um, you know, it, it's funny when I give lessons to people for the first time and we go to the short game thing. And their, their techniques are usually, you know, they're hanging back and they're flipping their hands and, you know, it's inconsistent and they're not stable. And, and it doesn't take long to get them where they need to be. And then they start, they're like, well, this is a lot easier. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but it, it's, you know, everybody's different. I think the, the mechanical players uh, are tougher, struggle more on the greens um, because putting's an art and um, it's more of being an artist in a, visualize trust let it go type thing and a mechanical player like a justin rose tries to be perfect tries to get it just so and gosh i can't i can i can remember i don't know how many times watching my dad in a tour event as a kid growing up caddying and and uh he'd take the putter back and he'd get it stuck going back but he'd keep going and he and he put it anyway and he'd make it nine times out of ten and i'd, I'd say hey dad you got the putter stuck going back he goes yeah that just means i'm keeping it low <laughs> you know because and, <laughs> mentally he's yeah because he's just so confident yeah. mentally he's like yeah i don't care about right that. yeah and you see a guy you see a guy at kapalua this week stub it going back he's not continuing the stroke he's stopping backing off going through his routine again right. and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that but i just laugh at you know my dad's like it's not how it's, it's how it goes through you know if i keep it low it's all good you know that's awesome and uh it just because it is a mindset thing for sure sure 
Well, uh, I don't want to gloss over and not get to your professional career. You did win twice on the Nike Tour and and were was extremely successful in, in Q School, getting through three times and <laughs> four, and four four times. I'm sorry, getting through four yeah. times. And not, <laughs> uh, that's not that's not a great thing though. That's not that's not you know that no. just means I struggled on tour. I had to keep well, going back. Well, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> let's not confuse people with the facts, Dave. Okay, let's just you know. But but what I'm getting at is you got through it. I, I want to know how you mentally were able to do something like that to keep your career. I mean, we're looking at basically, oh, 15, 20 year career between the PGA tour um, and, and, and the nationwide or Nike. But um, so I, I want to ask you briefly about that, but before you do, I, I can't control myself any longer. I need to talk about the 91 Ryder cup at Kiowa, the war by the shore. <laughs> this is the reason I'm, and I'm, and I'm really not going to ask about, uh, too much. I mean, we all know who won. We know Longer missed the last putt. Um, right. I know it was contentious due to the the war at the time. There's all that stuff that's very, very well documented. But the thing I want to ask about is your dad's the captain. And now we have, you know, the pods and we have the five vice captains and they're all going to be groomed uh -huh. to be a future captain. And in 91, the U.S. team uh, selects your dad, Dave Stockton, to be the captain and his vice captains are you and your brother. So it's like the Stockton right. family uh, that is running it. When did your dad come to you and, and your brother, Ron, and say, so you guys are going to be the assistants? Like, how did this all happen? How did the PJ sign it, off on that? Well, they didn't have a say. It was my dad's call. <laughs> and, awesome. and uh, you know, it was just, it was a family deal, you know, from my mom picking out the outfits for the wives to, you know, my dad, you know, and my you know how my dad had the he had two captains picks and that was the hardest thing he had to do okay. um in fact he had said to he had said to Tom, uh um Curtis Strange that uh, Curtis won the US Open 89 and 90 right, right? Yeah. and in 19 in 1990 my dad after he wins the second US Open my dad says you're on the team yeah says, exactly. you're, of course you know and 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 of course 91 Tom's not playing or Curtis isn't playing good and I, he's, he's struggling. And he actually came to my dad and said, don't pick me. I'm not, my game is not where it needs to be. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, what, what my dad did was he had, he had, um, he let the 10 guys on the team pick from one to four, uh, between, um, uh, Tom Watson, Tom kite, Raymond Floyd and Chip Beck. And he gave the 10 guys on the team, he said, I want you to pick one to four, one and two being your top two guys, who you want on the team. So he had the guys on the team's input of the next two players that were picked, the last two. And, of course, um, Raymond Floyd was a pick because – and the reason he was picked was, at the time, Fred Couples, who won the Masters in April, uh, he still didn't know how good he was yet. Right. And he was very young and, and Raymond, Raymond was going to partner with him and they'd be a great pairing. And then, and then Chip Beck was picked because, well, Chip Beck shot 59, I think in 91, yeah. um, at, at Vegas. And, um, you know, Chip was, is the most confident, positive guy. You will, you'll never find someone more positive than that guy. I mean, he could have the worst possible thing happen to you and he'd find a silver lining in it. And, and I, I think about, the, I mean, those are the two picks and, and the guys wanted him on the, both on the team. And, and we're playing practice rounds the week before the rider. My dad had the guys fly in to get familiar with Kiowa because right, right. 
you can't you can't play that course two or three times and expect okay I got it because the wind comes from different directions all the time. So my dad had him come in the week prior and then let him go home on the weekend before coming back on Monday. And um, I went out. He said go out and play with them. So I went out and played with them. Zinger was my partner and we're playing and you know we've got eight guys playing in this big one big group going out and and uh you know chip x out there and what's that no i was just gonna say you had to have just been like how the hell am i here i'm you're like yeah what, it was 20, pretty you're like 22 uh, or 23 22 just yeah 22 just turned pro yeah and you're just and, like uh, and you're hanging out with ray floyd and lanny watkins and this is the pressure cooker this is the biggest thing and you're just yeah did you feel like and, and i'm gonna get back to that that practice round but but what was your kind of involvement as as the the assistant captain? Did you have the confidence to to kind of talk to these guys as a captain, or was it? St I mean, how did you feel going into that? Um, I was there. I, I was there if the guys needed anything okay. or had any any questions, or I, I would go out with a group um, where my dad wasn't able to see them, you know, and I'd go out and I had input. And my dad would ask me how so and so is playing. Should wow. you know? Is he should he play in the afternoon? And uh, there was a couple times, and I can't think of the instances, but, you know, I said, you know, I think that so-and-so should play. I, I'm not sure about, you know, I don't right. think you should send this guy out and blah, blah, blah. And, and um, you know, w what really got thrown, we would have, and my dad will say this too, we would have won by more than the point. It wouldn't have come down to that last putt okay. had, Steve, had Steve Pate not gotten hurt in the limo accident That's right. going to one of the – Going, going to one of the PGA of America functions and, uh, you know, he couldn't play. And, and he, the day he got hurt, he shot 66 on a golf course that nobody else broke 74 or five. He was playing better than everybody on either side of the, uh, on either team. And, and he was going to partner with Corey Pavin, who was his teammate at, US, at UCLA. Yeah. And they, they were going to play all four matches together. You weren't going to beat those two Bruins. And, um, and then as soon as he gets hurt, it's like we had to scramble. It's like, okay, who are we gonna play? What are we gonna who are we gonna pair with Corey? Now now we gotta mix things up. And we had, you know, Wayne Levy was having a rough year after being player of the year the year before. Um, he he couldn't break eighty on the golf course. I mean, it, it was it was a very difficult golf course. It was harder when it first opened than it was when they just when uh, Rory won the PGA a few years back. It was it was so much more raw in ninety one and um it was just brutal, but, uh, and both, both sides struggled. That golf course was, <laughs> that was a, a Pete Dye, uh, uh, just, I, it's an amazing golf course. I mean, right. what he did out there is just unreal. And, and to have the pressure cooker of the Ryder cup, you know, the things got blown out of hand a little bit with the, you know, they call it the war by the shore yeah. and, you know, obviously with yeah. the Gulf war going on and, you know, the, the camo hats, a lot of people made a big issue with the camo hats. The reason for the camo hats is we like to hunt and we thought it'd be cool to have camo hats for hunting when we go home. Yeah. And the player and the players liked them so much. Like, Hey, we're going to wear those camo hats. You can see the, you know, my dad wore the straw hat one, right? but you saw players wearing the camo ones and, and uh, you know, it was, it wasn't anything about a war against Europe or anything like that. It just, but it kind of got blown out of proportion in the press. And, and uh, you know, obviously there were some heated, Heated times between uh, Seve, which always happens with with guys and and Raymond and um, and Zinger. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, but uh, the ball compression, uh, switching the balls. Oh, and, yeah, that yeah, thing. yeah. Because yeah, well, and Seve, Seve with his little <clears throat> oh, yeah. coughing, like 
and, and Raymond walked over. The beauty was, you know, he was doing that with Chip Beckett, and and, and Raymond walked over to, to Sevy and said, you cough one more time, I'm going to give you a reason to cough. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, you didn't hear him cough anymore after that. Oh, um, so but, uh, you know, it just, it was a, it was an amazing week. It was, it, and back then there was no homes, there was no hotel, uh, at Kiowa. There was nothing there except for this, uh, one six story condominium, uh, building on the beach. And the European team had the first three floors and the U S team had the sec, uh, the, the next three floors. And we were all in the same building. We were all in the same, both teams were in the same building. It was so surreal. Um, you know, I can think of Saturday night before singles and, and, uh, we're in the team room and, and we finished dinner and, and, uh, Payne gets the, the, uh, the boom box going and he puts on, uh, uh, born, uh, born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. Right, and, right. and he's on top of the table with a bandana USA, you know, bandana on <laughs> and singing into the top of his lungs. And, uh, you know, just pumping up the team and, and, um, you know, it was just a, it was a cool time. Wow. That's uh yeah, 22 years old. You're just kind of hanging in the team room at a Ryder cup. Um, <laughs> oh God. I, I, you know, doing my Ryder cup research, you could easily say that, well, probably 1979 is really when, when the Ryder cup turned, that's when Europe got involved. It yep. wasn't just GB and I, but that 91 year, whether, you know, correct or incorrect with, with the war on the shore and the camo hats, all that stuff. I mean, that's really kind of the year that really elevated things. And then, you know, we go to 93 at, at, at uh, you know, Belfry and then Valderrama and then it just really kind of elevates. What, what do you think now about the Ryder cup? Is it, has it gotten a little bit too blown out of proportion? Is it, do we have too many cooks in the kitchen with, you know, five, four or five vice captains? What, what's your take on where the Ryder cup is now as compared to, you know, your, your firsthand knowledge of it in 91? No, I think that um, it's. I think it's better now with what what Zinger did. He, he took he took the the pod system. Right. He took what my dad did in '91, and advanced it into you know the pod system like the Navy SEALs, and and it worked to a T there at Valhalla. And you don't need to you don't need to change that that formula. The, the problem, you know, anytime we lose, everybody's going to point fingers. Okay, sure, well, sure. Jim did this. He didn't do this or whatever. It's always going to fall on the captain. But that's a golf. You know if you're going to go play in Europe, they're going to bring the fairways in. The rough's going to be super high. Yep. So it's going to take away the the bombers. Because here in the U.S., you go, oh, watch Kapalua this week. You can hit it 350. The fairways are 100 yards wide. And, you know, and that the regular tour events, you know, the rough is usually not that long and it's just you go play over there for the Ryder cup and, and everything's magnified because now you're not playing for yourself. You're playing for a team in a country. And then you, you have a, you know, a setup. Like I think going over there, I would have had a, a Xander Shoffley or a Kevin Kisner picked on the team. Right. Um, because they drive it so straight. Yep. And uh, that's what you needed there. You didn't, you're hitting out of the rough. You're giving up a half a shot a hole. And, uh, you know, Phil, Phil probably wasn't the best pick, but you know, it was Jim and Phil have been friends a long time and you know, hindsight, you can always look back and go, yeah, he was a bad pick. He oh, didn't play well, well and, what if he, and, what if he went out and lit it up? He might've gone out and played great. And everybody's like, Oh, it was a brilliant pick, Jim. Well, then also tiger. I mean, you got to pick tiger after winning the tour championship, but tiger yeah. to me just looked completely exhausted. 
he was exhausted and he, you know, and rightly so what he had just done yeah, after all that. I, the only thing I would have done different with him, I, I would have played him three matches, not four. I mean, he played too much. He played too much golf. Yeah. And, um, he didn't need to play, you know, that many matches. He could have, you know, played one less and it might've helped, but you know, you could see he was gassed too. So, yeah. um, it's, uh, you know, you you learn from it. It's tough. It's going to continue to be really hard to win over there because they know, you know, they're going to bring the rough in. They're going to have the crowds. Those European fans are amazing. Yes, and, are. Um, you know, and it just, uh, that, that pressure of a Ryder cup, it's, it's not for everyone. Um, and it, it's, it's magnified even more now than, I mean, I was at the one at Valhalla when Zinger, my dad was his assistant to Zinger, and sure? I went. I went to that one, and Zinger asked me if I would drive Raymond around. So I was Raymond's driver. Oh wow! And he was one of the. And so I, I I've won as an assistant and an assistant's assistant. There you so go. I, I feel like I feel like I'm two and zero. Oh, but uh, now, Junior, if you, you need, know. If, if you need an assistant, <laughs> I'm putting my name out there first. So I can uh, whatever you need. Need laundry done? You need me to drive you around? You just let me yeah. know, so um, I can I can I'm, I've I got a resume on hand. I'll shoot it over to you. Uh, that's Perfect. that's really cool that you've been in, so involved with all of these Ryder Cubs. Um, uh, you've been great with your time. You've we've talked a lot about golf, but I need to ask you about one of your passions, which is uh, uh, you're an outdoorsman. You like to hunt. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I I I think. Um, you know, whether it be hunting, fishing, camping, I have friends that are bow hunters, mainly deer. And, I, and like I said, I know you're an outdoorsman. Is there one particular hunting trip that you can tell me about that is just a prime example or just a good hunting story from the outdoors? You know, we had your good buddy, Kevin Hammer, on the podcast er, earlier in season <laughs> one. I'm easily setting you up for this because we both know the story. But tell me a good <laughs> hunting story. And then if you can figure out some way to to wedge Kevin Hammer into this story, that'd work out <laughs> perfectly. Well, um, yeah, Kevin, Kevin, you know, unlike myself, Kevin did not uh, grow up in a house where his dad was into hunting. Um, and, you know, I I had my grandfather own a sporting goods store and and taught my dad the love of the outdoors, hunting and fishing. And my, my dad's weeks off from golf, we'd be hunting or fishing somewhere. And, okay. uh, so I grew up with it and, and Kevin always wanted that. Our summers growing up in Keystone, Colorado, uh, where my dad was director of golf at Keystone ranch and, and Kevin's dad, Lori hammer was the head pro, you know, we'd spend our summers there and, you know, we we're out there shooting the, the prairie dogs and, you know, cause they're making a menace, a mess of the golf course with all the holes and, you know, that was fun, but, uh, you know, we, a few years ago, I went up, friends have a, a hunting area up in Manitoba for black bear and they got zillions of these black bear up there. And I went up and I got my black bear and I'm like, okay, I've been there, done that. Well, my dad loves doing it. And he went back a couple of times, finally got his. And after he got his, he's every year he keeps going back, but he's taking people up there hunting. Sure. He's like, I'm going to, I'm bringing so-and-so this time. I'm like, okay. I mean, I didn't, I, I thought it was okay. I got a staph infection on the trip. I, I was, I could, I could, I could pass on going bear hunting again. I don't sure. need to do that. And, and so Kevin's like, I don't know. My dad talked to Kevin. He's like, yeah, you got to come and you got to do this bear hunt. And he's like, oh yeah, that'd be great. And I, I can just picture his girls at home, his wife and, and three daughters look at rolling their eyes going, you cannot shoot a bear. You know, they're not <laughs> into, they're not into hunting at all. You can't shoot Yogi. You come can't on. shoot Yogi and boo-boo. That's not allowed. Yeah. And, uh, and so 
you know, all he's ever shot in his life were some prairie dogs and a few quail, right? And so he goes up there with my dad. <laughs> and my dad and I, our bears that we shot were both 400-pound black bears in the spring. So, you know, they're like, they'd be like 800, seven or 800-pound bears in the fall. And so they're nice, nice bears in the spring. He goes up in the spring with my dad. And he shoots the biggest one ever shot up there at 780 pounds or something like that. This is in the spring. <laughs> I mean, here's a guy that shot probably 20 animals in it. Birds com combined, birds and, and prairie dogs, uh, maybe 20 animals in his life. And he shoots the biggest bear ever shot up there. And I'm laughing. I'm like, I know that bear rug's not in his house. I know it's somewhere, <laughs> somewhere far from the house where the kids don't see it. And, uh, you know, but that's, that's typical, right? The, the guy that's not a hunter or, or, or not, you know, you're not going to, you get the biggest one. It's like, okay, that makes sense. Was he, <laughs> and you don't have to answer this question because this is personal to, to him and I don't want to completely throw him under the rug. You see what I did there? Bear rug, rug, see that? See that? <laughs> uh, did, was he wearing like, you know, leather penny loafers out there on the hunt or did he, or did he at least look like a hunter when he was doing it? I think he had Cole Hahn boot, hunting boots on. Is oh, what he was that's great. That's great. Well, Kevin, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, I know Kevin Hammers listened to this right now just saying, I never, I never should have put these two idiots together and given them microphones. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, uh, Dave, I feel we could probably go for uh, for a couple more hours, but we're going to cut the episode. I hope we can get together and do it again soon. Uh, these are great stories. I really do appreciate the time. And, uh, and and we'll have to catch up again soon. But thanks for joining me here at the back of the range. Ben, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And there you have it. That was episode 56. Thank you so much to Dave Stockton Jr. for joining us this week. Incredible stories. I will be at the PGA Merchandise Show next week in Orlando. But don't worry. We'll have another episode for you next week here at the back of the range. <laughs>